Welcome to the Wordy Pair Podcast, your go-to hub for all things writing, world building, and the occasional dive into the weird and wonderful world of fiction. We're breaking down the barriers between you and your next great story. Whether you're a seasoned scribe or just scribbling your first sentences, we've got something for you. We'll be discussing everything from crafting compelling characters to dissecting the good, the bad, and the downright bizarre in the world of fiction. Okay, this script says you guys are eccentric. Isn't that just a three-syllable word for weird no offense so whether you're in need of inspiration a good laugh or just a couple of weirdos to keep you company on your writing journey you're in the right place thanks for tuning in to the wordy pair podcast All right. Well, welcome to episode seven of the Wordy Pair podcast. I'm Rudy. I am Justin. And today we're going to start talking about something that we have a big disagreement on. At least, you know, not like a not like an angry disagreement, but something that we do very differently. Yeah. Something... So the topic. Go ahead. Go ahead. You go ahead. So the topic that we're going to start with today is is about structuring an outline in your stories, like uh, planning stories, basically before you write. And I do a lot of this. Yes, you do. And and you do less. Much less, yes. Not okay. So we'll we'll get into why that is or isn't true, but uh, for the most part, you do structure and outline. I do not. I sure. I take a nap or something. So, All right, we are off to a good start. <laughs> yeah, great start. <laughs> Now, now remember, if you edit out that pause, that's going to be even funnier. <laughs> I, I mean, I'll probably chop up a little bit here and there. I've been. We can talk about this later. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we can talk about editing right now. Editing's important. I, I, okay. Well, I mean, editing an outline, editing the D- real thing. We are not even into the first topic, and I have already derailed us. Am I good at this or what? You're pretty good at this. Yeah. The so... derailing part. Now we can we can we can skip the editing. So structuring and outlining, that's uh. Why, why don't why don't you start telling telling us something about structuring if you like, and sure. I will I will chime in when I see a thing where it's like oh well I do that totally differently. Well, okay. So just to start, I typically will start when I when I'm thinking about starting a story, I will generally like sit down and just kind of brainstorm for a little while, but I'll usually brainstorm on paper. So I'll just kind of put down random ideas that kind of match the motif I'm thinking of. You know, when I'm starting a story, I'll usually have like an idea. Either I'll be working off of a prompt or I'll have had like an idea where I'm like, ooh, this sounds like a good hook for a story. Uh, And then, you know, I'll start thinking up possible ways to deal with that hook or deal with that prompt. And those all go down on paper so that I don't forget them because I will forget them. And, um, once I've got a once I've got a, enough brainstormed stuff, I start trying to create some kind of a like a through line. You know, there's going to be you know these characters or you know th- this number of characters. They're going to start here. They're going to move here. They're going to go here, and that's going to deal with points. You know, B, C, F, G, and J from my brainstorming. I find that I find that having that structure really helps me to 
make sure I don't contradict myself too much in the story. Especially stories with multiple characters, multiple plot lines going on. Or anything more complicated than just like a, a simple POV story. Generally, it helps to have something on paper where I know where I'm going next when I start writing. All right, and my method is that, but without paper. Sort of. Yeah, kind of. So. Well, I mean, what? how do you... Oh, okay, so... Ask away. Like, well, so so how do you keep everything that's in the story in your brain at the same time? I have trouble with that. Okay, well, there, there's multiple... Th- the, the first thing I want to say, just to get this out of the way, is... Uh, uh, every story that I have ever tried to do with any type of note-taking method, I never finished. I, I barely got anywhere in that, because I would take a bunch of notes, and then I would sit down and I would be like, why did I take these notes? And it was just one of them things where, I, you know, and this isn't like, remember, this isn't like criticism of taking notes or structuring or anything. This is just what works better for me. Sure. So... I will come up with an idea in my head. Like you said, you come up with a little hook or a little, uh, you know, something that sounds like it might be a neat idea. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of times, you, you know, I, there, there was this thing I saw, uh, so someone had an image probably on Twitter or something where they had a pie chart and it was like 25% or less of the pie chart was actual writing. And then the rest of the pie chart was said something like daydreaming about my characters. Sure. That is how people that write like I write, write. There's uh, there's a lot of going to work and you know being in the middle of a job where you don't have to be completely focused on it, and so you're daydreaming about what's happening. And in my case, I will come up with what I think is a good scene, and I will pretty much do the old blockbuster rewind on it about a thousand times in my head, seeing what I want to keep and what I don't, and what sounds like good ideas. So do you work visually, like like from a visual perspective, or? Oh yeah, I'll I will I will imagine entire scenes playing out, complete with backgrounds and everything that I know that I'm not going to describe in the story. <laughs> uh-huh. like, like I'll have a totally different vision for of what's in my head than what actually makes it to paper most of the time. But the important part is I have a story idea that I want to tell, and you know the the uh, the keeping track usually comes in the form of I have already played these scenes over and over in my head. I actually don't mind too much if... So, so like, if I have a situation, and I think we talked about this in the last episode, but in, in if I have a situation where I wrote something that contradicts something that I had put in earlier, now, I will never outright do that. Like, oh, well, I don't want to change this, so I'm just going to have this contradict this. But there's times where I don't catch it. And if I don't catch it, I look at that as an opportunity to say, okay, now how do I explain this contradiction? down the road so so like it's not but the story isn't just a set of interconnected scenes there's where where each scene is necessarily something that you want to look at and think about over and over again from a visual perspective there's connective tissue that gets the characters from scene a to scene b to scene c and like you can end up with contradictions there too right so for instance I, I, in in the book I'm currently writing, the, they're, they're, the people in the book are traveling between, let's say, four different places. And I need to make sure that the time that it takes for them to get between place A and place B is consistent. And that actions that happened you know, while they were in transit, they don't get to know about because they were in transit. Things like that. 
it depends on how important the time is. Like, if you have something where, where you're going to have a point A and a point B, and it's like, this is going to be four days later, then, sure, you, you need to explain why it take, takes them four days to get from point A to point B. But let's, let's say you have a situation where it's just like, uh, it can vaguely be two weeks in the future, and so you know that these people are traveling cross-country, Maybe they're like taking mm-hmm. a van ride or something, and you just you just have them, you know. They maybe they stopped a few places on the way. You can explain that, or you can leave it out. You can reference, you know, how long the trip took, or you can make it a more important part of the story. It just depends on uh, how you want to show the passage of time. It's depending on how important the actual movement from a point A to a point B is. You don't necessarily need to show all that time passing. Well, no, but if it's important, let's say for it takes it takes one group of characters to you know six hours to get from point A to point B, and then you have a second group of characters that is moving from point C to point B, and you need to make sure that that they miss each other, or you need to make sure that they don't miss each other, and and, and if you want your universe to be consistent as far as distances and stuff, you need to at least think about you know who's where at what time, and especially if you have multiple groups. I mean, the simplest case is that you have a group of protagonists, and you have a group of antagonists, and the antagonists are trying to escape the protagonists. And so, for instance, the protagonists find a, a clue at time at certain at a certain time t at a certain place a that suggests to them that the antagonists have moved from have moved to b, which is a certain distance away. You know, th- things like that. So yeah, like like. I mean, I, th- this is something that I had to think about a lot because I'm kind of the, my current the current book that I'm writing is a like a hostage rescue rescue story, and so like it's important that people aren't left alone for hours and hours and hours, or that the group A had time to get from here to there. Uh, yeah, well, you know, when, when you're writing something like that where you need that, like you're talking like you know, split seconds. Depending, it can change the Not situation. Not necessarily split seconds, but like... Um... Well, I mean, it's a situation where, where, like, you know, things are happening in order for several different people in several different places. Yes. And, you know, there's, there's a couple of... There, there is... So, so of course, the obvious way is to plot everything out and, you know, know who is going to be where, when, and, like you said, do a lot of thinking about that. There's also the method of eliminating where people can't be so so like looking at it like like a film negative so you have you have this character shows up at this time so instead of thinking about where they were all this time and trying to determine how they got there you just have to say sometimes it's easier to say okay where couldn't they possibly have been and that kind of places them somewhere for you if that makes sense yeah sort of and and then there's you know there's a lot of times where I guess my point is that at this point, at, the, at that level of complexity, I need to write things down, or I'm going to make mistakes. Okay, well, in a sense, I write things down when I do that as well. The difference is I usually just write the story, and then if I've got something that has to be that like specific, I'll look at the story and say, okay, wait, does anything not fit, and do I need to change anything? Like, do I need to change Well, let me ask you a question, wants? then. That, 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 that leads to a different question. When you've got your first draft done, how many times do you go through the story before you go from first draft to final draft? More times than I need to usually, because when I get to the final editing stage, it's like, 
there's this beginning period where it's like, oh, there were a lot of things to fix. But then you get to the end period and you're like, I know there's lots of things to fix. And so so in my case, I usually overdo it. And I'm just like, I went through this a hundred times. And then I realize I still missed stuff even after publication. Yeah. But usually within one or two drafts, you can weed out the uh, the really big glaring problems. Now, I, I remember, uh, I think I've told you about this before. I So I... I wrote a very long story that had a character who couldn't speak. Yeah. I did two edits of the story before I realized that I had given them a line of dialogue in the middle of the story. <laughs> so, so that was kind of funny. <laughs> How did you, did you just take out the line of dialogue or was it more complicated than that? I took out the line of dialogue and I mean, I mean, it, in this case it was easy. I didn't have to do much thinking because it was just a joke. So I took out the line of dialogue and I instead made it something that happened in her head. See, that's not that's not how this this answer was supposed to go. You were supposed to be like, "Well, I took out the line of dialogue." I derailed us in the first two seconds of this, and now I'm derailing us. So shut up. (laughs) (laughs) You're supposed to be like, "Well, I I removed the line of dialogue, and then I rewrote the second half of the story." That's how you're supposed to answer that question. No, good God, no! (laughs) If you have to change something, so well, no, I mean just for comedic purposes. Yes, well. Well, yeah, but that's actually a good point, though. If if you have one thing in a story that you absolutely have to change, do not rewrite your whole story because of that. There, there's usually always a simple way to change it. it. Maybe you have to change like a page or two, but if you have to, if you feel like you have to do redo the entire last half of your novel because of a mistake or a contradiction you made, you're. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say you're doing it wrong. I mean, you're yeah. free to do that if you really think it's that important, but there's almost always a way to get around any mistake you made in writing. But it's not the way I originally planned. Okay, so let's... (laughs) I don't think we've actually addressed that before either. Sure. Uh, What is this, episode seven? So seven episodes in, this is is a very, very, very important thing to remember. Nothing that you write, whether whether you do one draft or you try to do 20 drafts till you get to your final draft, nothing is going to come out like you've got it in your head. Not a single... Th- I don't care if it's flash fiction. It's not coming out like you have it in your head. And it will certainly not be read by others the way you imagine it in your head. So that's a really good point. Uh, so I, I mentioned this in a couple episodes ago, but you know I've been very surprised by people reading my stuff and coming to very different conclusions to what I intended. So, so this is further evidence in favor of your point here, which I think is worth reiterating even. You're not, it's not going to end up the way that you, it's not going to, even if you, even if you think it ends up the way that you thought you wanted it to end up, it's not going to be that way when other people read it. So yeah, they're, they're going to interpret a lot of things, no matter how specific you try to be, people are going to interpret things in ways that you weren't expecting. There's just no getting around that. (laughs) There's this thing that I'm sure we will be a, a huge part of with the Harry Potter community, uh, called cancel culture. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and That's a good point. A actually. lot of cancel culture is just people choosing to interpret how someone writes something in in, in a certain yeah in, particular in ways that they don't like unflattering way. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Good point. So so there's that, and then there's so, so like I don't do too many stories where I really have to nail down the timing. I use a lot of tricks in that. Like like I have a story where there's this big uh, amalgamation of all the characters I had in the story show up at the end of the story. 
And we have to assume that they all got there somehow. But as I as I introduce each one into that the ending of the story, like like as I'm bringing them back, I'm not really yeah I'm not really describing you know why how did they, they got there? yeah how long did it take them to get there why are they there it, it, the way I present it is just one of okay there's there's like one major group of characters that's there for a reason there's another major group of characters that gives a very vague reason as to oh well we kind of knew this thing was going on here and we didn't want to let this happen and then other characters just start like like one group of characters literally shows up on accident because they're just treasure hunters and they're like oh I guess we're here too and then the rest of the characters, it just kind of, after all of that, you've got a sense that, oh, there's something big going on that a lot of people in this world knew about, and there's a lot of vested interests that want to show up here and do something about it. Yeah. So, so and I, you, have enough, you have enough fogginess, and uh, the characters have been missing from the story for long enough that it would have been possible for them to make it there. Yeah, and it's, it's literally the fog of war for writing. Yeah, always... The, the the fog is the fog is your friend not your enemy yeah but it, but i mean it there are times when you really do have to get things right like i have a couple of short stories i i actually haven't finished the third part yet but there it was a, it was supposed to be a three part short story yeah and the first two parts i had three characters that were roommates one of them is secretly a an artificially intelligent robot that is living as a human and he thinks that his roommates are normal. Another one is a time traveler that came back in time to stop a horrendous disaster, and she thinks her roommates are normal. And then the other one is a witch who is also trying to present a or prevent a different disaster, and she thinks that her roommates are normal. None of them realize anything that's going on. All of them think they're making mistakes because the other ones are doing things that are interfering with them. And so mm -hmm. the story kind of plays out where, you know, the robot character is just kind of observing humanity and it, he's kind of testing to see how well he can get away with living with, you know, other people. Okay. The time traveler thinks that the robot is committing suicide at one point because she catches him drinking gasoline. So okay. yeah. she actually, ha her part of the story is she goes back in time and tries to prevent this by making by quote unquote making him feel more loved <laughs> like being nicer to him for a month straight in the past which she, I see but then she thinks it works because she comes back and it's like oh he didn't he must not have had the gasoline cuz he's still alive I didn't think to check the time that he actually drinks it yeah <laughs> well well no that was the thing like she couldn't come back because there was a spot where she was where she couldn't see herself so so okay. she like couldn't go to that exact moment and the the witch thinks that her th thinks that the uh, the time traveler drank her love potion and that's why she's been acting weird with the guy that they live with for the past month and so she's trying to figure out what happened to it and how that happened and how she can uh fix that mistake <laughs> i see and it doesn't turn out that that gasoline is just love potion right no that's where she that's where she thought she dumped it because she was trying to get rid of some of it i see how do you get rid of some of a love potion? How does that work? Well, no, she, all of it, all of it. But she, <laughs> <laughs> she was, uh, it, it was just, uh, she was just testing it out, and she was like, "Oh, I've got to get rid of this." And she's like, "Well, it'll burn up in a gas tank, and nobody's going to drink gasoline, obviously. So I'll just pour it in here." I see. Okay, interesting, interesting. So, so like, 
there were a lot of timing issues there because I had three groups of people that were operating under three different pretenses that all had to be in certain places at certain times for this entire story to work. Right. I did realize as I was writing it, there were a lot of tricks you could do with that too, which involved, you know, a lot, well, you brought one of them up, like explaining why she couldn't check on uh, whether or not this character would... Had actually drank the gasoline? Yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh, well, I mean, she, she doesn't want to appear in front of herself and confuse things. Like, I think she does see herself at one point in the story, but I wrote it a while ago and it was just a one-off thing I did and I can't remember it perfectly. Oh, fair enough. But, but yeah, there's, it's actually fun. So, like, trying to sit down and come up with all of that without actually taking any notes was kind of the challenge when I wrote that. I was like, can I do this without writing anything down except for the story itself? And it uh -huh. seemed to have worked out reasonably. I think if I was going to do something on the level of, like, like a Steinsgate time travel story, even I would probably have to write down at least a timetable. Yeah. And I, and I like to do everything in my head, so I, I would say that, you know, there's you don't have to strictly stick to one method of structure and outline, but there's definitely... Oh, okay, that's fair enough. There's definitely, like, two extremes. Like, one is outline everything, and another is I'm going to daydream until I have a story and maybe write parts of it here and there and then daydream about more of it later before I write the next part. It's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like outlining just you're not writing anything down. You're still kind of doing the same thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the I guess the issue is it might, might partly at least be part one of memory, where I am certain that I will not remember these things, and I don't want to lose them, so I definitely write them down. Well, it depends on how attached you are to the thing that you come up with. So like, like you said, you don't want to lose it, so you write it down. In my case, if I forget something that I felt was really good at the time, I just view it as an opportunity to come up with something new, and who knows, maybe it'll be better when I actually go to do it. But how would you even know? I wouldn't, because I had forgotten <laughs> it. But it, I mean, you, still, it, it, it's like, okay, well, I can't write that one thing I was going to write, because I forgot about it. I mean, it. I, the, the, point, the point is that you still end up with a story. Yeah. yeah this, so, this that's is, fine. You're not going to die if you don't write down every single idea you ever have, is one way of looking at it. I'm just taking it, you know, to a big extreme, where it's like, I enjoy the vagueness of it, where it's like, oh, well, I mean, I didn't remember it, so it might have been a good idea, but it wasn't important enough to remember, so maybe I'll do something else. I don't know. I'd say I, I, I don't want it to sound like I have a problem with writing things down and outlining them. I'm just saying that these are both As a viable methods. <laughs> so, like, if you're one of those writers that feels like you take notes all the time and it's just not working out for you, maybe try less notes. It might work better. That's eh, worth a shot. And <laughs> vice versa. If you're someone who struggles with, you know, you, you like to daydream and, you know, you haven't really been much of a note taker, but you're finding that your stories aren't coming out a way that you would like them to, start taking a few more notes. See if you can, you know, do timetables, do plot structures and outlines, maybe write down facets of your characters instead of just you know, committing them to memory. You know, I've invented a lot of characters in the years that I've been writing, and sometimes I'm glad that I don't have many notes. Like, I have one character compendium for, like, one group of characters, and I've largely abandoned a lot of the notes that I had for them when I actually went to write them. But, sure. like, it gets harder when you have it written down, too. So I'm glad that most of my characters don't have notes with them. Because I've changed a lot about them as time went on, and usually yeah, that's for fair. The that's better. reasonable. Yeah, 
Okay. That's another point worth remembering is don't be afraid to throw things away. But I think we've mentioned that before. Yeah. So well, well, there's definitely an aspect it. of it to where once you've written something down, it, it gets harder to say, I'm going to get rid of this idea, especially when you're talking about characters. Because you yeah. know that when you wrote, wrote it down, you had an idea for a certain thing. And then it's like, it's sitting there looking you in the face and you're like, that was what I came up with. Do I really want to like, you, you know, you don't, you don't want to feel like you're destroying something that you created, but. I cut out that puzzle piece and I'm damn well going to use it. Yeah. Yeah. You don't, you don't necessarily want to get too hooked into that. Now, if you're, if you're writing yeah. something with established characters where you've already written and people have already seen it, you, you really don't want to change anything then without writing a reason for the change. You don't want to just have the character be different. Once you've got something written down, you know, pretty solid like that. Like, I'm not going to suddenly start having my mute character speaking and not explain why suddenly this character is able to speak. Well, she turned into a rapper. Okay, well, technically that makes sense. Uh, <laughs> but but no, that's... Uh, yeah, you can't, you can't just have a, a character... Like, a one-armed character showing up dual-wielding uh, swords in a sword fight is... It's a little odd. It, people are going to raise sure. questions. I just wonder, like, would that... Because you've already said that your your character has turned out that, that she can't talk, but she can sing. I just wonder if, like, she can speak in an, in an iambic pentameter. I'm going to go ahead and say that I'm not counting poetry as music. I haven't made up my mind on that since I haven't had to use that in the story anywhere. But this is another great thing about, you know... I don't have anything written down. I already know what's established. I have not yeah. established whether or not she can do iambic pentameter, but I would lean towards no, just because I I want to give her as few outlets as possible. Sure, sure. Like like she's she's got this thing where she has ghosts that that live inside her head, and when she when she first got the ghosts, she was really happy because she thought, oh well, at least I can communicate with something because you know they're in my head, so they can hear my thoughts. And it turned out she couldn't even communicate her thoughts to the ghosts living in her head so it's like she could hear them a, a thousand ghosts chattering <laughs> in her head and she was just like getting angrier and angrier that none of them could read her mind nothing ever goes her way yeah it's uh it's part of the character <laughs> yeah but, but yeah that's that's uh that actually does bring up a good point it's like there's all there's always going to be things in the future that you can change about your character that aren't set in stone so if you try to set too much in stone and you're not willing to give it up once you've done that you might like do, be doing yourself a disservice like, like who well, knows it's, it's I, also yeah go ahead uh, well who knows i might write a story 10 i might write a story 10 years from now where it's like i'm gonna use that iambic pentameter thing that rudy said yeah it's also well oh no <laughs> see this is why i write things down i lost it it's gone never mind <laughs> <laughs> we, we, i mean i i write almost nothing down i really i really just like to go with the flow on it. I think there are times where it might have helped me to write a few things down and you know, I will I will try to do that when I really think it's necessary, but for the most part I seem to have gotten by without doing so. Yeah. I'm trying to think of what the last story was where I actually used notes. I mean, I I wrote mysteries without writing any notes down. I don't know if uh I, I don't know how good I could say they were, but they did have an element of, you know, a little bit of timing and where characters were at this point and that point and how the mystery resolves. But I didn't really, you know, I, I didn't really outline much of it. I kind of just wrote it from start to finish. Well, I mean, mysteries are, well, there, there, there are multiple different types of mysteries. Like, um, you know, there's the, there's the, 
Um, there's the Agatha Christie mystery there, where 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 style, I guess, was what what I'll call it, where the the reader is fully intended to possibly be able to figure out what happened, but not like expected to, in the sense that like, yeah, it's there's going to be a bunch of things that came out of the blue that that are only hinted at, and it's not like we gave you, you know, clear instructions, but all the bits and pieces are kind of there. Right. Yeah. You know, that, that's that, that's that's one type of mystery. The, the um, there's there's a book. Uh, there's a Japanese mystery. The book Zodiac that's Murders. Called, like, Tokyo Zodiac. Yeah, the Zodiac Murders. Mur- to- to- Tokyo Zodiac Murders is like that. In fact, the book actually stops about two thirds of the way through and says, "Stop. Do not read any further. If you haven't solved the mystery, try and solve the mystery, or don't. Whatever. It's your book." But like, <laughs> it, it, it actually does the, that twice in the book. Does it? Yeah, it, it goes through most of the book, and then the author tells you, you could actually solve this mystery right now with everything I've given you. Then he goes a little bit further with a big clue, and he goes, okay, now I've given you a really big clue. If you still really want to try and solve this mystery, now's the time to do it, and then the ending happens. Oh, you're right. I forgot about that second one, yeah. It's a fantastic like, then there's, book. Oh, it's a really good book. But but then there's like, there's also kind of like softer mysteries where you're not really given everything that you need to know. The Nero Wolf series is a good example of this, where like, yeah. there's always some little bit of, there's always some little nuance that Wolf has picked up on that nobody else has, and and it's not really expected that the that the reader has either. So the, you know, there's mysteries where the end is is a surprise and you're surprised, and then there's mysteries where the end is a surprise and you feel like a failure. So you know, but 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 I guess I guess my point is that for the mysteries where you want to actually make sure that the reader can come up with the result you do definitely want to have a very tightly crafted storyline like i feel like reading agatha christie books i feel like she must have spent a lot of time with like timelines and outlines and and maybe even like a diorama or something for goodness sakes well i mean there's evidence to say that she did she there was a there was a contest that she helped design Mm-hmm. A long time ago, that it was supposed to be a mystery that people could go to this city. Uh, I don't remember what city it was, but this was basically a kind of trying to boost a bit of tourism. People could go to this city, and there was a mystery that Agatha Christie had helped craft and could be solved. And mm-hmm. I think it it went on for like three or four years before finally, you know, a few people came close. Like a few people were right there, but nobody got it. And then eventually, okay. it was revealed what the answer to the mystery was but yeah her her mysteries she does craft them in a way that she she did actually mention you know when when this thing was being created that they had sat down for some time to come up with this mystery and they were obviously doing outlines and ideas for what the clues are going to lead to so that was her writing style certainly you you can kind of tell because all of the all of her mysteries really, really focus on, you know, here's the clues, here's what's happening, and there's this, de- you know, in the case of, like, Hercule Poirot, the detective is, you know, he has a personality and a character to him, and his sticks out more than a lot of the other characters. So, like, the sure. second character, the second most important character in Agatha Christie's books is usually the mystery itself, which tends to have more character than a lot of the other people involved. Okay, yeah. Whereas the uh, the Nero Wolf, or well, well, let's go ahead and call that the well, the Arthur Conan Doyle I mean, style. That okay, sure. Like you said, that's you know, 
again with Sherlock Holmes. Sher- he, Sher- Sherlock knows what color the dirt is in Devonshire yeah, for some reason. Yeah, so he he has an insight that nobody else, including the reader, is really going to have by the end of the story. You're not going to solve a Sherlock Holmes mystery un- unless you like, you know, look at it from the perspective of okay, who are they? Tr- who are, who is who is Doyle trying to point to as the murderer? Which usually he isn't pointing to anyone. Like a lot of times, right. you don't have any idea who this person is until the end of the story. You know, there's there's a lot of cases where you get a reference to a character that might have been looking in through a window, and you learn nothing about this character until Sherlock Holmes actually finds and confronts the character. Right. Whereas you know, Agatha Christie is the. I'm pretty sure she's the one that invented the whole "let's gather everyone around and discuss the answer to this mystery" genre. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, so so. One thing worth noting is that I believe I've read in uh, there's a biography of Rex Stout or there's bits and pieces of biography of Rex Stout where one of them he mentions that he basically just would sit down at a typewriter and just type for, you know, 30 days and he would have a Nero Wolf novel. So like he, he, he was definitely more on the on the um, unplanned side. There's a there's an anecdote that I remember where he says that he was sitting at his typewriter and he wrote the phrase, you know, so and so. Oh, I, I, I'm, I'm your son. And he's like, oh, I didn't even know he had a son. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's actually that's how I like to write my mysteries. I'm not usually writing something that anyone can really figure out, but I like to, I like to write it as though there's all these clues that make you. It's good to write a mystery by making people think about each character. That's the way I like to. Yeah. Do it. So like, you have all these different characters, like. I mean, I haven't written many mysteries, but I wrote one where I I wanted to do this weird thing where I establish all these rules about monsters. So, like, werewolves have a really good sense of hearing and smell. Sure. Mummies are really strong but really slow. Vampires have no scent. And that's, like, the first clue you get that, oh, wait, okay, so there's mysteries that can be committed. There's, There's... Crimes that can be committed by vampires that a werewolf wouldn't be able to detect. And there's right. other, there, there's like locked room mysteries you can create with a lot of the different characters. Like, like you know, like a werewolf would be able to smell something if something, if someone had passed by and unless they were a vampire. And so it couldn't have been this person moving through this room, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I had the homunculus, which they're, they're creatures that can't lie. So everything they say can be taken as truth in the story. But Ooh, that's a good idea. They can also be, uh, yeah, yeah. No, it, it was great because uh, the rule for them is they can't lie, but they can be convinced that things are true. So they could be telling someone something that isn't necessarily true, but they believe it. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, and uh, it was, okay. it, it was just like a that. short little mystery that you know I wanted to mess around with those rules, but I wrote it in the in the vein of a the detective will know something that you won't, and I specifically point this out. Because the detective is not a character that's like, she's a good detective, but she's not like the best detective. She just has a magical eye that lets her look at any anything that contains blood. She can kind of play rewind with and see what happened to make the blood get where it was. Was the story just called Happy Go Blood Eye or did it have a different title? It was called Happy Go Blood Eye. Okay. I did write two sequels that I never published, but they they had different sets of rules because I was doing different mysteries with them. Sure. That makes sense. The first one just established what could and couldn't happen. For this particular group of characters. Yeah. It's the 
the wonderful comedy mystery genre. <laughs> the puzzle murder genre. <laughs> well, it's worse than that, because it was also heavily inspired by things like Lovecraft, so... Sure. So the uh, the detective character actually goes a little insane when she uses her uh, her blood eye to look at blood. And she doesn't keep any mirrors in her house because she has red hair, and her inf- entire family lineage, lineage is set off by the color red. They can't stand it. I see. So she's like the Green Lantern, but with red instead of yellow. Kind of. It's It's like... It's not, like, intolerable. It's just that she doesn't like being around red. And, of course, I made the story take place in a vampire's mansion where she liked to decorate everything in red because I love torturing right. my characters. <laughs> that's that's where the Lovecraft part comes in. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, uh... It's just... It, I guess if you want to be a single-technique mystery writer, find what you like to write. Like, if you like doing mysteries in Agatha Christie style, you can write 70, 80 novels in that style if you want, and, you know, you'll probably do pretty well if you get a good fan base to read them. I I have always leaned more towards trying new things every time, but, I mean, you can just look around and be like, yeah, that, that worked really well for Agatha Christie. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, I mean, it worked well for Rex Stout. It worked well for, well, it didn't work well for Conan Doyle, because according to everything I've read, <laughs> he didn't really like writing Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> but I think well, the same was true for Maurice LeBlanc. I think he didn't actually like writing Arsène Lupin. Oh, really? I've never heard this before. I, I found it it referenced one time, and I haven't really found anything to support it, but apparently he felt the same way that he had just got... He'd gotten stuck writing this one character because people loved the character so much. Oh, I see. He got pigeonholed. He didn't like yeah. it. But I mean... I mean, that's a, that's a valid complaint with, with Holmes, but with... with uh... With Lupin, it's not really, because Lupin can take on so many faces. Well, I think that's why he had so many different types of stories with Arsène Lupin. I mean, each each book that he wrote kind of felt like a little bit different each time. He wrote... Sure. He wrote The Extraordinary Adventures of Arsène Lupin, Gentleman Burglar. And that had a collection of, I believe, eight stories in it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the first one is actually Arsène Lupin getting arrested. So, so they're on this steamer that is traveling to America. You know what? It's funny that you mention this because I just read a really beautiful illustrated version of this book that I managed to find at the the local public library. So, yeah, it, 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 go 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 on. But like, oh no, that's interesting because I I want I actually want to read that. I would love to see that. It's beautiful. Like it, it has it, it has probably more than one illustration per page on average. <laughs> something like that that's a lot but of like, illustration uh, it's, it's very like there are some full page illustrations where there's no text and it's just the illustration but yeah it was it was uh, it, it, I, I was walking around in the library and there was a book on its like you know how books usually sit so that the spine faces outward yeah well this one wasn't this one was sitting so that the spine faced upward and so I saw it and I was like huh that's curious and I turned it I'm like I'm like wait LeBlanc Maurice LeBlanc, Lupin. Oh, this is a Lupin book. Okay, I'm I'm taking this. <laughs> yeah, I, I gotta find out what publication that is. I gotta check that out. I can look it up for you. I think it might still be in my like library history. Let's just talk about us looking at books in libraries for the next half hour. Ooh, I love it. It's beautiful, <laughs> isn't it? I, I like that you to... use the same technique as me. It's like, ooh, this book is turned a different way. I should look at this. <laughs> Well, I mean, not not always. Like, like I'll definitely be like, ooh, I, you know, have I? 
this is how I got the uh, the last theorem. I was like, oh, I haven't read any Arthur Clarke in a while. I wonder if they have any books by Arthur Clarke here. Womp womp. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it it can backfire too. But like, uh, no, I mean like there there's there's. There's 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 a certain joy in walking into a room full of books and just walking down the the aisles and looking at all the different choices and seeing if anything jumps out at you. Yeah, there. I mean, there's a lot of things that are printed exactly the same these days. So it, you know, I I I know that when I go into a bookstore that you know many of these books are being run off the same presses at the same sizes and mm-hmm. with the same color saturations in their covers, and so it can be kind of bland going, you know, looking at the bookshelves these days. Well, that's the thing that the library has over a over a bookstore, yeah. is that the library contains books from... It puts books from 30 years ago right next to books from 20 years ago, right next to books from 10 years ago, right next to books from last year. And so, like, you don't get that as much of that, that sense of sameness. And the other thing, the other thing that, that, that makes bookstores in particular less, I guess, fun to, 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 to walk through for me is that you, there, there are going to be shelves where it is literally copies of the same book over and over and over and over again, where that doesn't happen in libraries. Yeah. Yeah. You, unless you're, unless, unless, unless you're, um, unless you're over in the, uh, the, uh, the John Grisham section. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, no comment. Or James there. Patterson. Oh, geez. Or, uh, <laughs> oh, what's the, what's the mystery author? Uh, no, not a mystery author. I'm trying to remember. It's uh, eh, I don't know. I'll, I forget. But I, there, there's like a there's like a female author that is that I always think of when I think of James Patterson and this other author are the two that oh. really you know, I see <laughs> everywhere. Yeah, Nora Roberts. Oh, okay. I can't I can't remember if she was the mystery one or the I think she's the mystery one. Possibly, I'd have to look it up. I I haven't read anything by her. And there's like a Judy something or other, I can't remember. But but it's like you go into a bookstore and you see the same thing everywhere you look. And it's right. no surprise that uh, that manga has overtaken all of this. Because, you know, you walk down the manga aisle and it's just like, oh, look, different covers and different sizes of books and, you know, different things that can actually jump different, out different at Different entire color schemes kind of thing. And, and whole Cause, series cause... that you can buy, as opposed to, you know, like, I went to the bookstore recently... And I went to where Terry Pratchett should be, and there were three Terry Pratchett novels. Like that's just sad. Yeah, it is, and I don't know. I don't know. Uh, like these bookstores are starting to stock books the same way that Best Buy stocks movies, and which is not at all. They, no, they do. They just they got some no. guy in the back room. No, that's just did, like yeah, did... let's get like three of these and five. They, they they stock their movies like they're picking out donuts at Dunkin' Donuts. No, 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 no. Have you heard the recent news? Best Buy is getting yes. rid of physical media yeah. altogether. Yeah, they're going to just stop. And, and it's funny because it's like, when I heard that news, I was like, yeah, well, of course you're getting rid of physical media altogether. You've had years to say, why don't we stock things properly so that people will actually want to come in and shop and buy and movies. Buy stuff? And yeah. instead, it's like, I go in and you've got anime mixed with Disney. You've got action movies mixed with dramas. You can't really tell what one thing is from the, the other. And there's no sections labeling where things belong. So it's not like you can walk in and not know what these movies are and be like, well, I want to try a new action movie. I'll go over to the yeah. action section and, okay, this one looks interesting. I'll take that. You can't do that because you don't know if it's an action movie. There's there's no genre that you can pick from anymore. It's uh, it's not, not good salesmanship, in my opinion. No, I mean, it... 
they used to do that a long, long time ago. They were a fantastic place to buy movies from a long time ago. They were like the place if you were, you know, an anime nerd like me. Uh, or the, the, I mean, the only place that that compared was like a Suncoast. Yeah, or media because play. Suncoast later had on. all this weird stuff. Yeah, but Suncoast was like on its way out because of Best Buy by that time. Yeah, I mean that's true, but at the same time, they still stocked things that that were like, I've never seen this before. I've never even heard of this before. And you know, you never find things that you've never heard of at a Best Buy. I mean, at the very least, we're living in a digital age. If they're going to do this whole thing where they have, like, you know, download your movies to your computer or your TV, you would think that, you know, someone somewhere would have worked out, let's let's do a ticket system where here's here's this, you can have one shelf with all these different genres set out, and you just have, like, a slip of paper representing the movie that you want to buy, and so you can just flip through the slips of paper and be like, this movie looks good, I'll take this ticket, go and buy your digital code, and go home and download a movie. But instead, we just sit at our computers and download the movies and lose out on the shopping experience entirely because it's just not convenient to go to a store and actually look at a physical product now. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it used to be that... Yeah, I don't know, I'm old. I'm I'm old and you're old. And it used to be that, like, you would go to, like, a, a game store or a movie store or a bookstore and there might even be people to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> well... Okay, so I know that we're completely derailed from our topic now, but since we're already derailed, we may as well keep this train going. Well, this is this is this is the derailing that I intended. Like we're we're going off in into like into goodness. Yeah, this is this is going to be a fun little one because you're right. We are both old. We're we're both in our forties. Well, I'm in my forties. I don't I don't remember how. Yeah, old. I'm in my forties. Okay, yeah, so we're both in our forties, and there was a time where you know even if you had a computer, you know you were using it to do homework. You weren't using it to shop for videos online, right? Right. I mean, I mean, we're we're or, so old that there was or, no or, online. Or if you, if, <laughs> if you, I mean, even if you were shopping online for like movies, you would see a picture of the DVD case cover. Yes, and not <laughs> only that, but you would. Uh, there was, believe it or not, you know, in the early days, it was harder to shop for movies online than it was to go to a store. Yeah, I mean, there was the the there 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 was. There was a lot of there were a lot of problems that were kind of like inherent with the style that websites had back in like web 1.0, like really old stuff, like not 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 even like the semi old stuff, but the really old stuff where like they just didn't know how to put things on the screen and arrange them so that you could like understand what was going on. Yeah, the 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 underlying structure of the internet w- couldn't support like a full fledged DVD store at that time. You right. could you could find stores where people would have the names of DVDs that you could go through and then order them. Yeah. And occasionally there would be like like a popular one might have a picture next to it. Mm-hmm. But bandwidth was harder to come by at the time, so you weren't you wouldn't want to be flipping through a bunch of even really small images because you just you would be sitting there for an hour trying to scroll the page. Yeah. But but yeah, the the uh, the the thing about the thing about it is, sure, we're in our 40s, but you know, we were there before the internet. We were there as all this infrastructure was built up. And the way things looked like they were going at the time, like like we knew twenty years ago that even even earlier than that, we we knew in like nineteen ninety eight at least that people were going to be downloading movies to their computers at some point. We we knew all of that was going to happen, and I think like you know streaming was a thing that kind of started earlier than you know Netflix started as a DVD rental place. It was like a mail in DVD rental. 
where you would yeah. you would just request a DVD, you would pay a fee, they would send it to you, and you would watch it and then send it back, and that was and that. And you get another one. Yeah, you yeah. pick out another one. And, and then, like, Crunchyroll, the anime streaming service, that actually started as a pirate website that was streaming Naruto uh, illegally, and somehow, you know, ended up being able to turn that into a legit business. Yeah. So, so like, all of this stuff... <laughs> some Some magic. Yeah, all of this stuff kind of had its roots in people figuring out that they could share movies online. And once people had figured that out, everyone was kind of like, well, okay, well, what does this mean for, for like, movies and DVDs? Because now you've got everyone storing movies on hard drives. And there were still people that were like, well, yeah, but you, you get the DVD. It looks better than what you downloaded. You can have a nice theater, home theater system. And the progress of technology kind of merged all of these things together to where you can have a nice PC that is also a home theater system. Yeah. And all of these companies that want to sell you movies now, they're like, well, okay, well, let's uh, let's find ways to make as much money off of getting people their movies as we used to with hard copy DVDs and Blu-rays. So, so now they're actively pushing out the Blu-rays and DVDs to get you to sit in front of the computer and watch things that inexplicably and and this is where i think a lot of things went wrong you can't store on your hard drive yeah yeah that's that's a big problem because if you don't have a hard copy it can get removed or edited at any time and well i mean this is companies good. are doing this now for weird stuff they're being overprotective of everything because they they envision a future where they're always going to be able to sell you skyrim again whereas yeah. most people with any sense are envisioning a future where it's like oh Half the games that exist on the X... No, let me take that back. Every game that exists on the Xbox Series S will not be available to future generations. Right. There's there's going to be no way to archive a lot of things that are currently coming out, and it's probably going to be a, a net negative for video games as a whole, because, you know, a lot of people get their start from either older things or... You know, like, you can't look back on what was made and be, like, be inspired by it to make something similar or to make, or, or to see how something was done and say, okay, well, how can I do my version of this? If it doesn't exist, you, it, you're you basically leaving everyone stranded at the age before this recent console generation. Yeah, or or even, I mean, man, it's just, because there's so much... There's so much. There was so much lost media when media had hard copies. I wonder what's going to happen to lost media when there are no hard copies. Yeah, I, I think it, I think it's going to be a lot of stuff. Just like people are going to be like, "Hey, you remember that?" And there's going to be a huge Mandela effect where a lot of people are going to be like, "No, <laughs> no, that never happened." <laughs> the The entire future of the human race is us gaslighting each other. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine a boot gaslighting a human face forever. <laughs> <laughs> but i i mean you're you're right we're older so you know our experience growing up was going to stores and seeing things i just i just feel like there's there's a lot to be said for getting up out of a chair to do something every once in a while yeah 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 because i look absolutely. at how many things i mean yeah absolutely walking around and and there's something there's something there right like we just talked about how we love walking through libraries you know, I don't think that that experience or that 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 tendency is unique to us too. So there, there's there must be a market for a place where you can walk around and look at things and like choose what you're gonna buy or choose what you're gonna watch by doing that. 
as opposed to just sitting in front of your computer by yourself and saying, I'm going to rent this for, I'm going to rent this and then watch it. And then in 48 hours, it's gone. Yeah. And consider how many people, especially younger people these days, talk about how bored they are, are all the time. They have a magic box in front of them. And this is if they're using a computer. I mean, they've got a magic box in their pocket. <laughs> but yeah. but let's, let's just go with computers so we can get the image of you sitting at a computer. You've got this magic box where you can download movies, you can do all your shopping, you can order groceries, you can order food, you can order delivery, you can order uh, furniture for a house. You There is almost no reason to get up out of a chair and go do something. And you've got all these distractions, all these fun things that you could potentially do. And at some point, I think the human brain just overloads to where it's just like, sitting in this chair is boring. That's why I'm bored. Especially <laughs> if you're a writer. If you get to the point where you're you're kind of stagnating in your writing, you've got what you're call you've got some some of the old writer's block or whatever you want to call it. Don't sit at the computer screen staring blankly. Get up and go oh, do something. Yeah, absolutely. Take a walk and daydream, or go and get a coffee and daydream. Get yourself fat on some McDonald's and daydream. Even just walking around in a circle in a different part of the house helps me sometimes. Because I'll like I'll be like I have a problem. I need to figure this problem out. And like sitting at the screen and staring at it. Encourages me to just stare. You know what I mean? Like, like you're looking at it and you feel like you're thinking about it, but really you're just staring. But if I actually get up and put the problem in my in my head and start like moving around or walking around or something like that, now I actually have to address the problem because otherwise I will walk forever. Yeah, and there's more to it than that too, because this is this is one of those things where okay, so so. Picture this. Picture, picture you're, okay. you're sitting at your computer. You're, you're, yeah. you know, you're kind of like not really getting into the flow of things. Maybe you need a new idea, or maybe you just need a break from it. You know, mm -hmm. th there's a difference between standing up and walking around, which is not bad. Like you said, you know, it, it gives you something to, something else to do for a minute to get your focus. Yeah. So I, I live close to the Detroit River. I can get up in my car, drive down to the river, sit on the bench for a while, and maybe drink a coffee or something. And yeah. when you're sitting there, as a writer, you know, think of things that are actually happening around you. Like, you're actually feeling the wind on your face outside. Think about how many times you have failed to describe just simple things like the wind in someone's face. And then yeah. start looking around and be like, well, what else can I actually put in a story that will give it more flavor? Or maybe even just sitting there like... <laughs> Like, you're, you're watching the river, watching the boats go by. That alone is enough to give you an idea for a story to write sometimes. Sure. I mean, everyone thinks that... I, I was, I was going to make a joke about the Detroit River being something you could walk across, but yeah. I, well, Ankh-Morpork had to have been based on something. And uh, the Ankh River, I'm pretty sure... I, I, I can't prove this, and I, it's probably not true, but I'm just going to pretend that Terry Pratchett meant the Detroit River when he said the Ankh River. Makes sense. Yeah, so yeah, you can get new inspiration by seeing by changing your scene, basically. And not just that, but like you realize when you get out and do things that there's more going on when when someone is out and moving around than just this character is walking down the road. You, you know, you get the feel of the cement or the grass underfoot. You get the uh, the different layers of weather in the sky. Like, is it rainy? Is it foggy? You know, you get different building types that you see that could give you ideas for describing something. Sure. You, you get to see the fascinating, fascinating people that we have to share the world <laughs> with. <laughs> and it doesn't take much. I do not really get out that much, but it's good to get out. Even even mm -hmm. if you think, well, there's no reason to get out. There's there's plenty of reason, especially if you're 
if you're doing any kind of creative medium. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the 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 notion that the the notion that you can just sit in a in a blank empty room and and come up with good stories. I mean, certainly you you might be able to do it, but you won't even know what you're missing at that point. Yeah. And you'd have to get extremely lucky to 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 get that to to get things to work together that way just because you you're going to being in a sterile environment will make your descriptions sterile if you sit there too long. And it doesn't necessarily just apply to, you know, artsy, creative-y things like that. It could be like... This is a podcast about writing. Writing is one of the most... Yeah, yeah I mean... Well, I, I mean, you, the point I, The point is that it can be good to get out just be... Okay, okay so like you're a physicist. Sure. Uh, who, do you remember the, I think it was a French fellow that he was observing steam trains and it gave him an idea for, oh, geez, what was it? I'm I, I'm forgetting my physics history. Oh, um, I think I know who you're talking about. I can't remember what it was, was that he came up with after seeing the steam train, though. There's a, there's an engine that, that he came up with, right? The, unless we're thinking of completely different things, there there's a, there's like a, Oh goodness, the the Carnot cycle um, is is what I'm thinking of, but there's also an engine that I think it might be called a Carnot engine. That might have been maybe it. not. There's also that engine that that works by like like heating and it basically heats a little disc that then the disc lifts up and goes back down. That 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 that, that, was, that has a French guy's name attached to it, but I'm blanking on who it is right now. I can't remember if it was an engine or something to do with refrigeration or what it was, but it was something like well, that. Well, that, that, that's the Carnot cycle, is refrigeration. Okay, yeah, that was it then. I'm pretty sure that was it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, so yeah, so so here's a guy who was just like, he wasn't writing or doing anything like that. He was His creative process was in machines, and, you know, just by observing steam engines, he, you know, he, he was led to this idea that changed the face of the world, pretty much, in large ways. Yeah. Well, I mean the yeah Car- the Carnot cycle is one of the one of the major advances in understanding how entropy can be traded for heat and how it can't. So yeah, definitely. So why are you listening to this podcast? Get up out of your chair, throw on your earphones, and keep listening because please listen. Please listen to our podcast <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and go go take a walk and uh, grab yourself a coffee or something. Pick your poison. I don't know. Is that uh? Does that sound like good advice? I think it was good. I think it. I mean, definitely telling people to get out more is something that needs to be done. Touch grass. Like, I mean, I don't want to put it that <laughs> yeah. bluntly, just because it's not just about touching grass, right? It's not. There's nothing that you gain by going, like, because like there's grass outside my house. I can go and I can touch grass. That doesn't do anything. What 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 actually does something is like observing. Uh, uh, like it. it you know, you can observe through touch, but there's not usually a whole lot of of complicated data there. It was it was soft. It was it was it you know it was it was cool. You know it's stuff like that. But like look, going around and going out and looking around and seeing what there is actually out there helps you to remember what is vivid in your mind too. So yeah, there, there's entire stories I've written because I was driving by a, a like a someone's trash out on their lawn and the trash bag moved a certain way and I was like, ooh, that could be like a creepy monster crawling out of there. I mean, we created a game that was based on, like, <laughs> looking around for for uh, for things that were like... <laughs> we, 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 so, so a long time ago, we had this game where we'd be driving around and 
we it was almost like it was almost like I spy with my little eye, but like the the the, the phrase was was we live in a country that is so rich. <laughs> <laughs> so it's weird to think that that was a long time ago. We are old. It was aren't pretty we? long ago. Yeah, we're pretty old. <laughs> oh, and also, uh, you can you you. I as what? a. As basically a master of the universe, I'm going to go ahead and say everyone has permission to like anything that they liked when they were younger now, especially food. Well, so it's funny that you mentioned that because one of the topics that we're thinking about talking about in the future is Pippi Longstocking, which I guess is a big influence with you or at least a big inspiration. Uh, yeah, um, in ways that most people would never expect. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure so the I... reason that I liked Project Echo so much was because Echo reminded me of Pippi Longstocking. Yeah, I, I, and I haven't ever read these stories, but I, I picked up a collection of them a couple of days ago, and I'm going through them bit by bit. And I'm seeing, I'm seeing, I'm seeing a lot of the the, the stories themselves seem to be a, a a an unending fountain of whimsy, and <laughs> they are. That's... There's that that's that's kind of kind of kind of great to to, to just experience. I I think. After you've read a bit of it, you could understand why I love them so much. Yeah. there, There's a lot to be said about it that we'll say in a future thing, but I, I will say that I did give Urzgelda, my vampire in The Good Guy, I gave her pigtails because of Pippi Longstocking. So, yeah, And not because of Wendy's. Not because of Wendy's, no. I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> sure that at one point when I was younger, I thought Wendy was Pippi Longstocking. Oh, I could, I could see making that. I could see that. Yeah, I've, I've done... I've had weird... When I was a kid, I had a lot of weird, like, connected things in my head that weren't actually connected. I just thought they were. Yeah. Like, uh, so I, I, I used to live in a, in a, in a city called, what was it called? Okay, I don't remember the name of the city where I lived when I was, like, two. That's, that's all right. Um, but, like, there was, from where we, from where we lived, you could look out over the, over the fields and across the fields a couple of miles away, you know, kind of, like, far away, but... It was a big thing, so you could still see it, even though it was far away. There was a hotel. And, like, my grandmother lived in Colombia, but when she came to visit us, she would, she would, we would visit, she would stay at that hotel sometimes. And so, like, or, or maybe even just once. And so I always thought that that hotel was Colombia. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there were the Colombia Suites. No, no, no. I mean, it was just, it was just, it, the, the name of the, the name of the, Hotel had nothing to do with Columbia. It's just that I, the person that I that I that I have seen at, the person that I have visited at that hotel, or who came from that hotel to visit me, is is, is lives in Columbia. Therefore, that is Columbia. I can respect a young person believing that Columbia is a hotel down the road. Yeah. Because I once had a great dream about Florida being across the street. Yeah. So there you go. And I live in Michigan, so Florida's across like seven states. Or the street. Or the street. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll we'll save the Pippi talk for... No, no, we probably will do like a whole episode just focusing on Pippi Longstocking, but it'll have to wait until after I've read a little bit more of it, because... Yeah, we, we should probably I, I, watch... I couldn't the... talk about it intelligently at this point. We, we should watch one of the movies as well. Oh, that's a good idea. Uh, well, there was I think there was one movie. We should watch the movie, maybe a little bit of the TV show, but the movie is really... I, I don't know how much of the TV show I saw when I was younger. It was... Its popularity diminished pretty rapidly by the yeah. time I was like ten. I think there was nobody was talking about Pippi Longstocking anymore. But she had a hot minute in the United States. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
yeah, well, you'll have to send me a link or something like that so that I can find make sure I'm finding the right thing and not some like bootleg. Poppy it's it's going to look pretty bootleg. It's a Swedish movie. Oh, like the movie or the TV? I thought there was an Both. animated show. The animated show was Canadian. Um, it was okay. It was an okay show. It was kind of. I mean, obviously, it was made for younger people, so it's not going to be super appealing to you know anyone our age. But it it's you know it's Pippi Longstocking doing doing. No, it, it's not something that I would watch now, except as purpose for the purposes of research. But that's fine. I watched a couple. There's, it's kind of like a thin Pippi Longstocking, so there's not much content to the cartoon. So yeah, I mean, so this is something you can all look forward to. Everyone listening to this podcast, you can listen to, you can look forward to listening to two old men talk about Pippi Longstocking for an hour. Oh, I am gonna fangirl out. <laughs> I'm actually listening to the book in Swedish right now. Uh, I'm listening to an audiobook of one of the Pippi Longstocking, Pippi Longstrumpf, the original name, and uh, right. I don't speak a word of Swedish, but, you know, this is how much I love Pippi Longstocking. I will just sit there and listen to jargon in my ear that I will never understand. You mean gibberish, not jargon. <laughs> yes, gibberish. <laughs> Technically, it's jargon because it's words that actually mean something, but I have no idea what. Well, jargon has a has has a technical connotation to it. There are words that you don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> I, I started learning Swedish because I did this, too. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's gonna be some very strange Swedish that you learn. Yeah. Hey, do you know how do you know how they say hello in Swedish? I do not. Hey. Well, that's that's convenient. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> I just I just read that that tack is thanks. Yes. Yes. Tack is thanks. Good moron is good morning. It sounds like they're saying okay. good moron. Good moron. <laughs> Well, you, you know, if you were doing it in Swedish, you would say good moron, wouldn't you? Uh, <laughs> I, well, we've been canceled by the Swedish. All right. We did it. <laughs> yeah, we, right. We were wondering before we started who was going to cancel us this time. And uh, <laughs> our, our our good cousins across the sea, I guess. Wait, that's yes. Europe. Wait, no, that, they're in Europe. Wait, that's Brit Britain. Is Britain the one that we call cousins across the sea? I'm just calling all of Europe our cousins across the sea. That, that'll work. I mean, you could talk, you could be... And you could say the cousins across the lake, because there's a lot of Swedish people, I think, in, in Minnesota. Uh, yeah, that, that Minnesota's not across the lake. That's Wisconsin. But it is across the lake. It's just across the lake and a little further. It's across the lake and a patch of land that I'm not going to acknowledge, so yeah. Wisconsin has delicious cheese. You should always acknowledge Wisconsin. Yeah, no, Michigan has delicious cheese that we just take from Mich from Wisconsin and consume here. So you can, you can pretend that Wisconsin's important all you want. <laughs> <laughs> and we've Doesn't been canceled by all facts. of Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're swinging for the whole Midwest by the end of the next episode. Oh no, Michigan's fine. I'm cool with Michigan. Indiana, we got our eye on we, you. We're, we're coming. We're we're coming for you. Don't you live in New Ohio? Mexico? <laughs> yes, I do. Oh, I'm going to be canceled by places that are a thousand miles away, and I'm all right with that. Yeah, it's 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 fine. The only thing important in Sweden is Pippi Longstocking, and she's not real. There's probably some other things that are important in Sweden. I, I hear they've got some good food. They have great. No, no, I, I, no, no. That, that's the. Aren't they the? Aren't they the fermented fish people? No, 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 no. I, they've got good food that they import from other places. Well, that's not their food. But they have it. it... <laughs> <laughs> I this is the best Mexican restaurant in, in Sweden. Oh, thank God. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really stretching here to think of anything else I know out of. So I, I, they, 
they sent us ABBA, and we did not nuke them over that. So I guess you know, I there's that. I mean, Canada Canada sent us Justin Bieber. Yeah, you know, I'll take ABBA over Justin Bieber any day. Yeah, I would too. Yeah. All right. No, no, I'm not done making fun of Sweden yet. Hang on. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I'm, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm just reloading. I'm cutting all of this out of the the podcast, Justin. <laughs> oh no, not this! I'll cut out the parts where we talk about like where where we're just talking to each other, and and like there's nothing possibly that an audience would find funny in that. But this, this is staying in. <laughs> you're just like, you're just like gritting your teeth. Like my whole family is Swedish. <laughs> <laughs> we are rich Evansing Evans this entire part of the podcast. <laughs> I actually, we we have spent what eight minutes now talking about a future podcast that we're going to have. So I guess we can, yeah. uh, I guess we can say that we've run the gamut for outlining and structuring what, or at least what we went over. Well, so, 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 I mean, the important point to remember is that I have a list of topics that I'm adding to whenever we think of things, so we don't forget about them, because we did that already. We forgot about a bunch of things that we had that were ideas, and they're gone now. Are, I mean, did we? There were a couple. You were like, oh, I had this really great idea, and I didn't write it down, and it's gone. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I'm going to come up with like a hundred of them a day. I'm not writing all of them down. Look, I mean, I I have the topics list, and there there are... Three and a half things in here that you have suggested so far. If if you if you were having a hundred ideas a day, throw them in the Discord so that I can write them down in the thing. Well, I mean, if you think I can't come up with one, I'm okay. I've got one for you right now. Here's one that we should go do for in the future. And okay, I, I'm, let's let's just go ahead and I'm, I'm typing it in. I'm typing it in. Here we go. VTuber lore. What makes it good? What makes it bad? That is not. It's writing. Seriously, like there's so like there are okay. This is gonna be another. This is gonna be another like semi debate because like most VTuber lore is generated by the watchers. <laughs> that well, that is one of the things that is worth discussing, though. Like how things sure. grow, how things grow organically versus grow, grow out of control. Yeah, grow you out mean? of control organically. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, it it can be a good exercise to see how to see how a VTuber if you go back and watch the history of some VTubers and see how they grew from, you know, how they started to what they ended up becoming. Yeah. And there's also, uh, I found out recently, there's actually a market for people who want their VTuber lore written for them. So it's not oh. like this has nothing to do with writing. I'm actually thinking in terms of, oh, well, there's like, okay, okay. what are future I'm, careers that writers might have if... I, I'm skeptical, but I'm interested. You've got me interested. And hopefully the audience, the three people left who we haven't, you know ostracized by oh don't worry we are going speaking to speaking poorly of their we're going to get cancelled by VTuber communities all over next next time well, so <laughs> that's alright they don't have any real power no they don't uh, but like <laughs> so like when I sat down to uh, do some VTubing I I basically decided to do it in the space of one week and I just came up with like a really thin lore that I never even bothered saying anything about when I started doing it and then I was sure. like, well, wait, I write books, so why don't I just write a book about the lore and just uh -huh. give that away to people? And on, on top of that, it was like, wait a minute. I, I've seen a lot of really thin lore that characters have. I've also seen some people that like start with these really incredible backstories where they put a lot of time and thought into it, but then it just doesn't matter because they're like they're playing Minecraft and, and yeah. the lore only comes up occasionally. Like Very few of them actually have 
the lore appear constantly when they're streaming. But like, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how viable VTubing is for people in the future. Like you, you said at one point it was probably a fad. It seems like I'm watching people in the community drop off day after day. Like, like it, it's kind of become a meme now where I'll where people are just like, "How many VTubers quit today?" <laughs> <laughs> there, there were. Yeah, I, I, I mean, there's a, bunch there's of a lot of movement, a lot of churn. I guess is the way to put it. Yeah. I follow a bunch of indie ones, and like I woke up this morning and three people announced that they were quote unquote graduating, which is VTuber talk for quitting. Or being fired, but not being fired for doing anything bad enough that you really have to be fired right now. Yeah. But like people are using it interchangeably for like, well, I'm done VTubing, so I'm going to say I graduated now. It's just become the term. Yeah, to, to, to what? To. <laughs> it's. And that's one of those to things. regular human. That's one of those things that organically grew out of this. The term graduating yeah. is finding some. Well, that that has a long that has a long and storied history in in uh, Japanese pop culture. So I did not know that. that. You didn't? No, I didn't. I thought that that all came out of VTubing and people. No, like no, retiring. no, no, no. That that is a that is a long term thing in idol culture in Japan. I oh okay, I can see that. Yeah, I didn't know that because they have they have like AKB forty eight right. And it's 48 oh, people. And so, like, you know, every year, some number of those 48 people are, you know, leave, and some other group of people to replace them so that they remain a group of 48 come in. And so those people who leave AKB48 have graduated because they usually get jobs elsewhere in the entertainment industry because they're, you know, they, they, go, they, they get solo careers, basically. So it's, 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 it's part of the... It's part of the, the, the horrible churn that is the that is the Japanese idol industry. Well, I, I I mean, I can totally see it now that you've pointed that out, but I never would have thought that things like Morning Musume were the origin of uh, the graduation term. That makes sense, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it totally is where it came from. So it's, it's just like an idol culture thing in Japan that it all started. From. Yeah, I mean, the original the original VTubers were, were all supposed to be like virtual idols, basically. Yeah. You know, um, you know, what's her name? Cut, uh, I forgot. Kizuna. Kizuna Ai. Kizuna Ai, yeah. She she was kind of like the first one that got pretty significantly sized, and she did idol stuff. She sang songs, and, you know, she played video games, and she did idol things. And then Hololive came up, and those people were all, I mean, they were all advertised as idols, and then it became a running joke that they were not idols, but that they were idols was the joke. And then they all it, sort of became idols, and then all the indie people started call, referring to this, themselves as VTuber idols, and it's just a yeah. thing now. Yeah, it's just a thing that people do. Except for Miku. Miku will never retire because she's not real and doesn't have a soul. Well, duh. <laughs> I mean, She'll I'm outlive sure us all. The... Well, she's... She's an idea. <laughs> <laughs> She's an idea you could put a face to, and probably several hentai. I, 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 uh, Did I say hentai? Uh, I meant manga. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I, all I know is all I know is that all I know is that she's behind some of the, you know, some of the some of the really cool rhythm games that have come out in the last decade or so have been have featured Miku and her Vocaloid ilk. And in case it hasn't come across to anyone listening yet, huge anime nerds. Yeah, pretty much. And that's how you outline a story. Good day. Good day. <laughs> I, so, so question for yeah. you. Once I've published something, would there be any value in like publishing the outlines? 
as a like as as a curiosity. Yeah, as a as a curiosity, as a like call it your masterclass on how I uh, go about writing. I mean, there's always people that, especially when they're starting, are looking at methods that other people use to to write. It's knowledge that yeah. people want. I'm surprised sometimes that, you know, when I'm trying to learn something new. What people claim that they want? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm surprised sometimes, like, when I want to learn something new, that there's, I'll, I'll have a list of five things I'm looking for that I really want to know, and just the information, for some reason, is impossible to find. Uh-huh. And a lot of it is things that I would think would be really simple. Like, nobody's ever actually written anything about this or sat down and talked about this. Why can't I find anything on this? So, you know, there's... I, I would say it can't hurt. I don't know if it could benefit you particularly in any way other than to have something that you've written as part of a portfolio that you were putting together. No, that's fair. I mean, that you can always you can always pad a portfolio with things like that. Not, yeah. Not that someone who's a PhD in physics needs to pad a portfolio, but you know. Well, I mean, a writing portfolio, yes. Okay, well, I mean, fair enough, but I'm just, I'm just pointing out that <laughs> this may or may not apply to you, I don't know. All right, well... I guess we'll call that an episode? Sure. Any other topics you want to bring up, or are we, we, we good with what we've done so far? Well, since you brought up the idea of publishing your outlines, uh-huh. it, it might be worth including them in, like, a short... I mean, you could do a PDF explaining, like, how you went about writing this story and use your outlines as, you, you know, like, you know, here here's where I put this, here's why I did this, here's why I chose to have these things work in this timeline you could do something like that yeah it's kind of like it's like it's like tom woods blogging constantly and then taking his his blogs and putting them in a compilation to make a book out of them as as a writer if you're looking for easy content just keep everything that you're doing like like maybe start a blog and just do like a couple a paragraph or two a day and over the course of a, a year you might have enough content to fill a book or two you know, just just with random things that you wrote that if you look at it, you, you can sit back and look at it and be like, can I connect all of these things and make them yeah. into something that I can publish is just like one more book under my belt. Well, so have you seen any, any of the science posts on my on my writing blog? Uh, no, because I keep reading your stuff, uh, your fiction as I come across it, uh-huh. on like Iron Age Media, which is another thing we'll talk about sometime. Sure, but but uh, so so I've been doing I've been doing occasional blog posts where there was something in my story that I wanted to be t- to to get right from a physical perspective, and I wrote a post saying here's the cal- here's what I want to do, here's why I want to get it right, here's the calculations that you need to get it right, here's the way I did these calculations, and that kind of stuff. So those those have been fun. Yeah, so so there's definitely an aspect of taking what you know and using that for writing because. Yeah. If I wanted to do something like that, I would have to hire a consultant, obviously, because I do not know physics, and sure. I would not want to spend, you know, I wouldn't want to spend a year focusing on one aspect of physics just to write a story about something that included one formula. But yeah. that that's a thing when you're when you're outlining, or if you're outlining, do what Rudy did: sit back and say, "Okay, I want all these things to work, and I have knowledge of the specific thing," and yeah. it just. Do some side notes for your outline, which is also a legitimate thing that you can do. Weird as it might sound. Sure. It's all part of the brainstorming process. All right. I think that's good. Let's call it an episode.
thanks for listening, everybody, and uh, we'll see you next week with another random topic from our list of random topics. Which we will interrupt by talking about shopping at uh, McDonald's. Bye. Wait, did I say shopping at McDonald's? <laughs> you did. I brought up McDonald's you, twice. I must be hungry. <laughs> you, you, you are probably hungry. But that's all right. Are they? They're not open 24 hours anymore, are they? No, no, they're not. And that's a good thing. But you know what is? I don't want to. You, know you know what is open 24 hours? The website where you can download these podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that is. Well, I'll, I'll, I'm I'm putting I'm compiling a list and gonna plan to upload upload to a bunch of different places. You need to leave this but in anyway. so that people know seven episodes in we haven't actually figured out where to host it yet. <laughs> well, well, I mean, I mean, it's not that we haven't figured it out. I, I have a list of places, but the the point is, is that like I'm trying to build a buffer so in case like one of us decides that we don't have time for this anymore, like I almost did that, today. Like, right? Yeah, or like I almost do every day, <laughs> but like. <laughs> But, but like no, I mean, this, I wanted to make sure that we could actually like keep a schedule for a bit before we started publishing this stuff. So, you know, I, I'm getting started editing, and we're gonna have a logo and all that good stuff in the next couple of weeks. Then we'll start posting. And it's actually getting done because you're doing it instead of me. So <laughs> <laughs> we should talk well, about the horror stories of me trying to uh, keep a regular thing going on YouTube with us. Oh outside. man, yeah, we really should. That that's. That's that's a that's a long story and like some of our best stuff is up on your channel on YouTube and like like but then uh, there's like there's like another large chunk of stuff that we've done that's just nowhere. <laughs> I we're going to have to figure out what it is that I have forgotten to put up because I I think all of our audio recordings that weren't the the making fun of anime riff tracking kind of thing. I think all of those should be up now. Okay. And I know there were a couple we couldn't put up on YouTube because they discussed medical topics. That uh, yes, yeah. So, but we should. Uh, I I'm pretty sure everything is up now. So so that should be okay. To well, I, I was I was referring to the the Lost Universe videos. Okay, yeah, that's that's the, what I was thinking too. Because we did like twelve of those. <laughs> okay, so so I had that one moment with uh, when we were doing uh, what was the the God something. God, uh, Tower oh, of God. The, um, Tower of God. When we were doing yeah. Tower of God, and I hit that 10th episode that had that recording problem where you had to take it and fix it because I had... I had ac- I think I had accidentally uh, moved a you folder. You probably just accidentally... You, well, well, no. All, the, all that was wrong with that episode was that, was that one of the audio bits was out of sync from the other audio bit by like five seconds. Was that so really all that was wrong happened? with it? Yeah. No, no, it was obvious because, like, so like you would say something and I would answer, and then I would say something you'd answer, and then all of a sudden that stopped, and I was like, "Oh, there's a synchronization issue," and so yeah, I just, I just, all I had to do was put a little, put throw a little silence in at the right place, and it worked out pretty well. Okay, so yeah, I, I was, I spent ten hours on it, not realizing that that was the problem because oh. I had accidentally moved some folders. While I was working on oh, that Oh, and so, like, Audacity was freaking out at you and be like, I don't know what this is. Yeah, and I, for the life of me, I could not figure out that it was just the audio that had a problem. I thought I thought I had screwed something up royally, and I was like, we're going to have to redo this whole thing, aren't we? No, it, it, took, it took me a little while to, like, see what, what it was, but, like, once I found that, that space where the desyncs, like, because it, it happened suddenly. It wasn't like you were 1.2 times as fast as me, and it kind of gradually went out. There was this one point where, like, now I was answering, and then you would say the thing that I would a- was answering to, 
like five seconds later, and I was like, oh, there's a there's a major desync issue, but it's dealable. Okay, well that's that's good then. So yeah, I it's it's easier to, it's easier to fix than uh, than 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 the, than the sound of your push to talk button. <laughs> yeah, much easier. <laughs> did I did I do a few of those? Oh, I mean, uh, so I finished editing three episodes, and like sixty percent of my time is like he hit the, he hit the button, he let go of the button, he hit the button, he let go of the button, he hit the button, he let go of the button, and I have to silence those all out. Because <laughs> I. So like after we did those, yeah, I'm not I'm not using yeah. push to talk right now. I'm not doing that when we record these anymore because I realized I think two weeks ago your keyboard is so stupid loud. <laughs> there, oh, oh, that's what you mean. I thought you meant something different. I was wondering if you ran across in the first or second episode any moments where I had said something in response to you and you did not say anything, and then I realized that. I wasn't pressing the push to talk and I just didn't acknowledge that completely forgetting that what I had said would still be recorded in audacity. <laughs> ah, uh-huh, so, uh-huh. So if you had, no, there, 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 I don't think there was much of that. Thankfully. I, I think it happened at least once where, where, uh, there was, there was, there was one time where, yes, there was one time at the start of one of the episodes where I was, where, where I was like, hello. And you were like, and I'm Justin. <laughs> I fixed that. <laughs> Yeah, so so I'm not going to use push to talk anymore. I just need to remember to tr- to turn it off. Oh, because... the, the the video that I'm thinking of that you never put up is the one where is the one where one of our audio I forget which of us is missing, and it's just man talks to himself while playing. Oh, covert action, well, yeah, covert action, yeah. yeah the... That's the one I want. Okay, that's what I want to see on 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 YouTube. Oh, okay, I will. I I, will I, 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 I want to and... see myself talking to myself like a crazy person while you play while you play covert action. That's the video I want to see. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We will call it an episode here. Um, I said already, thanks for listening. But uh, yeah, we'll pick pick this up next week and uh, have another fun topic. Yep, and you can join us for some some more cancellations and mishaps and distractions. We're going to try to be canceled by a minimum of two groups per episode. That's the goal. Who who did we get this up? We got the Swedish and... uh, We got the Swedish and the Minnesotans. And the Minnesotans. No, the Wisconsins. The Wisconsins. Oh, yeah, no, we like Minnesota. We like Minnesota. They have Swedish people. But not real Sweden. Real Sweden sucks. (laughs) Minnesota's good. Wisconsin sucks. Because the Wisconsin cheese can be... Brought to Michigan? Is that yes? That's our that's our logic. And you know what else? You know what? When I said that, as a physicist, as a man with a PhD in physics, I say that's great logic. Yes. And not only that, but it applies also to when I said that there's good food in Sweden. You just have to get it from Minnesotans. That there you go. All right. See y'all later. Later. Thanks for listening to the Wordy Pair Podcast. Our passion is all things writing, world building, and getting into the weird and wonderful world of fiction. We hope you enjoyed our unique takes. If you did, make sure to like, rate, review, and subscribe to get your weekly dose of writing weirdness. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on Twitter. For Rudy, it's at Rudolph underscore Cone. And for Justin, at Ninja Mouse Chew. See you next time on the Wordy Pear Podcast.